Well, it's good to meet many of you. Well, it'll be nice to meet all of you, but I met some of you is what I mean. <laughs> and it's good to be here. I've been wanting to come here for several years now. It's just a little hard to leave my church and be here. But when Ben asked me if I'd be interested in coming, excuse me, I did not hesitate to say, yes, let me just see if I could arrange things and actually be here. It is an honor. It's an honor to meet you folks. Um, I've kept my finger on what this church does for quite a few years now. Since I met Ben and Jason, I always check your website to see what you guys are doing, how you're preaching, how you're tackling different topics. I've known Mike for 20 years now, Mike, about there. And I've always enjoyed my conversations with Mike when I could understand him. <laughs> because I, I always took interest, I have taken interest in what you folks are doing. As you guys look at the Word of God, as you guys look to understand the Word of God and how you're applying it in your context. And I must say that this church has been an encouragement to this pastor and your pastors have been an encouragement to me. It's neat to see what you guys are doing. You do it in a very simple way, in a very biblical way, in a very loving way. You simply extol the name of God by proclaiming his word and loving the people that come your way. So, again, it's an honor for me to be here. Now, let me clarify a few things in regards to that board of ministerial standing. It's true, it was a very long conversation. But I was not teaching him anything. I was simply trying to instruct him at what he needs to know because Mike sits on that council as well. <laughs> and Mike throws these re really deep and heavy questions. And um, I was trying to prep Benjamin for that. That's what I was doing, Mike. That's all I was doing, really. Well, the truth is I, I am a, a simple guy myself. And I'm certainly um, not the instructor to instructors, but I have uh, had at that time taken upon myself to help whoever I can in that process. And these examinations, these oral examinations, are lengthy. We're talking uh, anywhere from two, three, four, five hours. Um, in the case of Benjamin, this ordination process, it was uh, four hours and almost 200 questions. Well, it's in a book, right? You'll see what those questions were. And some of them were easy, some of them were not. And as you sit in that hot seat one hour after the hour, it becomes harder and harder. You develop a, a mental fatigue. But Ben did very well, and he did pass the oral exam. I was not surprised. I anticipated he would have passed it even four, four or five years ago, um, the, at the ordination level. I was so certain that he would do well that I've been asking him to get on with this process. A few times I said, Let, let's get this done because I would like for you to join the ordination council. I want you to be part of the group of men uh, that ask questions and examine potential pastors um, to see whether or not they are qualified. What the Board of Ministerial Standing does at the district level, it's called the D-Bonds, is examines the calling, the character, and the creed of any pastor or potential pastor. 
We want to know whether or not you are truly called by God, whether or not you have the character of a person who should be serving and feeding the sheep, and whether or not you know what to feed them, whether or not you know theology. Many men do very well, but not all. But I can't say that your pastor did exceptionally well. Now, you're not surprised. I was not surprised. But the whole process actually allows for us to confirm what you folks already knew. You knew that he was the man of character, that he needs to be. You knew his calling, the calling of God in his life, and you already understood his theology, his creed. We wanted to make sure, because he asked, we wanted to make sure that this was correct and right. And we joined this evening because we affirm what you have already stated when you call this man to pastor here. And so the ordination is from you. You are ordaining Ben. <clears throat> the Evangelical Free Church is credentialing him. We are putting our stamp of approval on it. But you are the one ordaining. And again, it is a pleasure, it is an honor to be here with you, but especially in this time where Benjamin is being ordained. Let me tell you a little bit about myself, my family. My name is Paulo, Paulo Freire. You probably can't say that. That's Portuguese from Brazil. So here in America, they call me Paul Freire. Now, what I find interesting is that the Brazilians call me Paul, the Americans call me Paulo. Or at least they try. I am from Brazil. I grew up in urban communities in New Jersey. And I married a non-urban woman, an American woman. And, um, and now we live, we have lived for almost 22 years now in the country. Yes, there is country in New Jersey. In fact, we have the biggest black bear population in the country. Right there, three hours away in northwest New Jersey. I have three sons. Two of them are here, my middle son. Micah is leaving for Ireland next Sunday, and he'll be studying uh, for one semester there. Um, he's looking forward to it. I've kind of, you know, sending your son off to Ireland. It's a big step for this guy, um, but he's going to love it, and I just hope I don't have to fly over there. Well, maybe that would be a good idea. I don't know. My son Elias looks like an Irishman. He's a redhead. He's the only Brazilian redhead I know. He's 14 years old. And I have an older son who's um, in his early 20s. Notice I said early 20s because I don't remember his age. But um, 23, I believe. He's married to Gina, and uh, he is uh, a seminarian at RTS in Orlando. And he's doing very well and enjoying himself there. We've been at the Hope Evangelical Free Church for about 22 years now. It's been some time. It's a small church in the country. <clears throat> New Jersey is quite different than uh, Pennsylvania. On that side of the river, people don't generally go to church. You cross the river and all of a sudden people go to church. I just think it's so, so odd how that is, but that seems to be the case. Now, there's exceptions, but few. But I thank the Lord for having called on me to serve in his church, for having given me a desire to shepherd the sheep, has given me a, a particular understanding of the scriptures. I am no scholar, but I am a pastor within the ranks of others who loves the word of God, loves God's people. Certainly, I love God and I love 
his church. And because I love his word, I want to make sure that other pastors are handling it properly, especially within our own ranks of the Evangelical Free Church of America. And so I teach, and I try to teach other pastors. I serve as well at the national level with the Board of Ministerial Standing. And it is a pleasure to see how the Evangelical Free Church is determined to make sure that pastor's theology is orthodox, that it is on target. I've, only, I've been on that board for just a short while, and every time we, we discuss and meet, I am amazed to see the amount of prayer that is invested in every pastor whose name comes up and to see how much care there is for every one of those men who are serving under the banner of the EFCA. It's wonderful, and I commend them for their care and their love. Having said that, open with me to Hebrews chapter 13, will you? Towards the end of your scriptures, the last chapter in the book of Hebrews, we do not know who wrote the book of Hebrews, but he did a fine job. And in Hebrews chapter 13, I'll read to you one verse, seven, and then we're going to jump a little. And we're not going to read the whole passage because honestly, it's very complex, and I'm going to let your pastor explain that to you. (laughs) But I do want to begin with verse seven. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Now look at verse 11. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. Verse 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Verse 14, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders. And submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray with me. Our Lord and Savior, we are grateful for the beauty of your word, for the beauty of your church, for the fact that you call people to yourself by your sovereign will, granting to them the faith they need by which they can respond. We thank you, Lord, for in this room this evening are people who profess you, who know you, who love you, who want to serve you, and people who are part of this community of believers, of this local body, who want to stand behind their pastor, encourage him, and celebrate with him. We pray, O Lord, that your name would be blessed as we join together this evening. Give us understanding to what is written here in Hebrews 13. Keep me from error, O God, and let us together rejoice in these truths. Amen. 
In, in the minutes that I have, let me just show to you that there are several sacrifices listed here in what I just read to you, beginning at verse 11. There are actually six sacrifices. The first one is very obvious, verse 11. You'll notice it speaks of the sacrifice that the priest would do in the Old Testament temple. The second sacrifice is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ at Golgotha, verse 12, outside the city walls. The sacrifice of Christ on the cross. In fact, verse 11 is speaking really of verse 12. The sacrifice of the Old Testament temple was actually, as you well know, a picture of what Jesus Christ would do at Golgotha. If it was not a picture of the Christ and the sacrifice that Christ was to do, then the sacrifice of the Old Testament temple would be nothing, of no value whatsoever. The value of that Old Testament sacrifice is that it was a picture pointing to what Jesus Christ would do. In fact, if you go back to Romans chapter 3 and verse 21, it speaks there saying, the law and the prophets bear witness to it. To what? To the righteousness of Christ. In verse 25, same chapter, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. This is what God did in the Old Testament. How were Old Testament saints saved? By God's patience. He withheld his wrath on those he would save. And then after Jesus Christ died on the cross and resurrected, God went backwards and forgives them their sins. He applies backwards the saving blood of Christ. Now we live on the other side of the cross, and so Christ, God, applies forward the atoning work of Jesus Christ to us. I think it is much easier to live on this side of the cross than it was on that side of the cross. Something to thank the Lord for. So there we have two sacrifices, the priest, the sacrifice of Christ, and this is where we come in, because beginning at verse 13, you see one, two, three, four sacrifices that is expected, that are expected, that we should be doing, the Church of Christ. So before I speak to Benjamin this evening, let me speak to you, community church. Here's sacrifice number three in this list, but sacrifice number one for you. Look at verse 13. There you are to make this sacrifice. Endure the scorn or the reproach that is so common to those who follow Jesus Christ. Sacrifice. Endure it. It's going to happen. And certainly it doesn't happen here as, as it would in some foreign land. But nonetheless, there is scorn, there is reproach for anyone who would profess Christ in a public forum. Endure it. Be that sacrifice. Here's the next sacrifice. Number four, it's recorded for us in verse 15. Offer up a sacrifice of praise. Offer up a sacrifice of praise with your soul to God. Some people would say, well, this is probably the easiest sacrifice to offer. Well, maybe in most of life, but at times you know how hard it is to praise God. And here the Lord is saying, praise him, even if it is sacrificially, even if it is hard, 
even if you have to muster up all that you have in order to say, thank you, Lord, I know you are right, I don't like what's going on, I don't enjoy what's happening in my life, but I will say this, I will sacrificially praise you nonetheless. If you are a confessor, then make a sacrifice of praise to God continuously. Not just at set times, but ongoingly, wherever you go, whatever happens in your life, make a sacrifice of praise. That's number two for you. Here's number three. Fifth in the list, number three for you. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have. Do not neglect to do what is good and share what you have with others. Look at verse 16. It's as clear as it can be, isn't it? Yet another sacrifice expected of the church of Jesus Christ. Living a Christian life is not simple. It is not easy. It does require sacrifice. And here it says, do not neglect to do good. Sacrifice what you have for those who are in need. Now, we're not speaking here of giving from what you already have in terms of your plenty. It's saying give in in, in the sense that even if it hurts, that's what a sacrifice is. And although the word sacrifice is not in verse 16, it, it is certainly in a context. Here we are told that we are to remember those who are in need. Yes, we should give primarily because we want to honor God. But we should also want to sacrificially give because there are people around us who are in true, serious need. So let others see your good deeds and give God the glory, as we read in Matthew 5. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. But here is the sacrifice I want you to see very specifically this evening. It is the verse that pastors are very hesitant to preach on because it sounds so self-serving. So Benjamin, I'm doing this for you. Verse 17. Now you have to come to New Jersey and preach it for me now. Look again at verse 17. Another sacrifice the last sacrifice listed here for us. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now earlier in verse 7, we read that we are to remember and imitate those leaders who are now gone. They've passed on, they've died. Think back, remember them, and imitate the life that they lived. Look there again at verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. I hope you have spiritual leaders in your life who have carried you through even the hardest of times or the best of times. And you look and you say, there was a man of God. They're gone now. 
Verse 17 is speaking of the man of God who is here now. What are you to do with the man of God who is here now? You are to make yet another sacrifice. Sacrifice your autonomy. Sacrifice your right to say, I do things my way. And place yourself under the spiritual authority of the man who's called to pastor you. That's a sacrifice. And too often, not a sacrifice people want to undertake. I'm willing to give, but give up my right to my own life and let someone have spiritual authority over me? That I won't do. But notice here, this is not a request. It is indeed a mandate. Obey your leaders and submit to them. In what ways? In matters that are dealing with your spiritual self. You don't need to ask your pastor whether or not you should sell your house. He might have good advice for you, but you don't need his permission. Your pastor is not to lord it over you, but rather he is to come alongside of you as a shepherd. And you come under his authority. That's why we have this structure. This building here exists so that he can lead you, feed you, and give to you from what God has given to him. And he can only do this by exercising spiritual authority in your lives. Now, as a church that is congregationalist, you have the ability to speak to each other and speak to him as well and into him. But keep in mind that he is your shepherd. He is your pastor. He is your elder. And his job is to lead you. Your job is to follow. How do you follow? Obey your leaders and submit to them. Obey meaning you follow his instructions. Submit meaning that you yield your spiritual governance over to him. But notice there what it says as well at verse 17. Why should you obey him, submit to him? For he, for they, are keeping watch over your souls. That's why. They, your pastors, are keeping watch. The term there means that they're staying awake. They're being vigilant all night long, watching over your soul. And that's why we're having this whole service here, because this man is being called and ordained to watch over your soul. It is not prestigious. It's a high calling. But you are either a fool or truly called by God to take on his job. His job is to watch over your spiritual life, to help you through your deepest needs. The wise man is the man who finds an able watchman over his soul. You found one. Take advantage of it. Use him wisely. And here we see also the pastor's motivation. What would motivate Benjamin Verbacek to watch over the souls of you? 
Look there what it says. This scares me every Sunday morning, by the way. Sunday morning, I cannot eat breakfast because of this verse. He will have to give an account for your soul. Your elders in this church will have to stand before God and answer to God for how you lived your life. It will fall on him. On how he fed you, how he instructed you, how he corrected you, how he led you. Be easy on him. He will have to give an account for how you lived out your Christian life, whether or not you matured, for how you sacrificed to the Lord, for how he sacrificed on your behalf. He is going to have to answer for how he shepherded your life so that you would live a life that abides in Christ. And notice what else verse 17 says. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. At the end of the day, Benjamin, you are going to have to feed the sheep whether you like it or not. However, it is up to you, congregation. It is up to you whether or not he does it with joy or with groaning. You decide that. How he shepherds you, will he be elated and eager? Or will he be hanging his head down and saying, oh no, not you again. It's really up to you. Now he's got to do it either way. Not because you pay him, but because God called him. But you decide how he's going to do it, with joy or groaning. Hmm. The verse ends saying essentially, make sure he does it with joy, because otherwise it will be of no advantage to you. Well, no advantage to him either if he's groaning each day, but it will certainly be of no advantage to you if your pastor is groaning because of the callous hearts that so easily approach and make us walk away from Christ. It will be of no advantage to you. I find it very interesting that there are many reasons why he should be joyful. And there are many reasons why you as a congregation should do what is right before God and by your pastor. But the author here knows the heart of man. And he knows that at the end of the day, we tend to always go back to ourselves, what's in it for me? So he goes right to the jugular. He says, look, it will be of no, it will be of no advantage to you if your pastor is groaning all day. Now, Benjamin... Let me speak to you. Whereas the duty of the church is to submit and obey, the duty of the pastor is to be faithful and to teach. Be faithful. So that your people can one day look backwards, just like we see in verse 7, and say, oh, I remember Pastor Benjamin the one who spoke the word of God to me, 
I can consider the outcome of his life and imitate his faith. That needs to be your goal from day to day as you pastor this congregation. As a pastor, your goal needs to be that you would live such a life that you would be able to echo the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. In fact, that should be the model for all of us here, right? Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. But of all people in this room, you first and foremost, Benjamin, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Never forget that the call to be holy in 1 Peter 1.16, be holy for I am holy, that is issued to the pastor first. It's a call for all of us, but you first. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, it was already read to us earlier. We see, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Be faithful. Be faithful and to teach the word of God. There is no portion in this book that should be omitted. There is no biblical text that you should not aim to understand. There is no verse that is antiquated. There is no portion that is not, when properly understood, applicable to God's people. Teach his word. Teach the entire counsel of God. And never forget to depend on the Holy Spirit to give you that understanding. Only the word of God will work to transform the souls of your sheep. Only the word of God. Resist the temptation for gimmicks. Focus on the work God entrusted into your hands. This work here. Do not compare yourself to others. For then you will either become disheartened and want to give up, or you will become proud and you should give up. John Calvin charged pastors with these words. He said, Let pastors boldly dare all things by the word of God. Let them constrain all the power, all the glory and excellence of the world to give a place to God and to obey the divine majesty of this word, the Bible. Let them enjoin everyone by it, from the highest to the lowest. Let them edify the body of Christ. Let them devastate Satan's reign. Let them pasture pasture the sheep, kill the wolves, instruct and exhort the rebellious. Let them bind and loose thunder and lightning if necessary, but let them do all according to the word of God. Benjamin, John Calvin was writing to you. you will give an account. If God's promised blessing to his under-shepherd is not enough of a motivation for you to preach his word and to be faithful, if God's honor is not sufficient motivation for you to be faithful in his word, 
then let this reminder be enough reason for why you should shepherd the sheep in a proper way. You will one day stand before God, the eternal almighty Lord, the King of kings, and you will have to give an account for every member of your church. It's daunting. You need to pray for him. That can either scare you into action or compel you to willingly and lovingly feed Christ's sheep. And let me say this too. In a world that's changing very quickly, never underestimate the power of the preached word when God's people come together. Lord, Lord's Day after Lord's Day. One writer put it this way. Remember the supernatural here in this room. This is not a religious tradition. God is here as we worship together. People pass from death to life in this room. Saints are made strong and enabled to weather the assault of the devil in this room. God is receiving praise when we come together in this room. This is a divine human transaction which not only now will feed the sheep, but in 10 years from now will be at work saving your soul and preserving your faith. Elevate in your heart and mind the significance of corporate worship. And it's true of you, Benjamin, and I encourage the church to follow suit Never undermine, underestimate the importance of worshiping together. Benjamin, feed the sheep. Be faithful and teach. Be faithful and teach your family first, and then the people of God. And at the end of the day, when you rest your head, Just remind yourself, you are a servant of Jesus Christ. Think highly of the privilege, highly of the privilege you've been called to, and never let go. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for celebrating. And thank you for being a church that wants to abide by the word of God.